Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you Google demolition videos, you'll find a seemingly unlimited number of videos of commercial buildings being imploded and bulldozers mowing down houses. 99% of these videos are posted with gleeful pride. They're a testament to growth and progress. Wiping old buildings off the face of the earth to make way for newer, bigger, and, and even better buildings. Most cities in America regard this kind of change as positive. That is not how we define progress in New Orleans. Here, a house can be riddled with termites or a commercial building poisoned by asbestos, and the only conversations we have are about how to save these buildings. Our desire to save houses, shops, and commercial buildings means that people who work in construction here have to develop special skills. We expect a renovated or restored house to have all the benefits of new construction, but still look like a traditional New Orleans home. We're not surprised when a new restaurant or coffee shop looks architecturally hip and modern, but retains the bones of its 19th century origins. You don't find those types of construction skills just anywhere. They are, however, the mainstay of New Orleans' Meyer Building Company. Meyer Building Company is responsible for an extensive portfolio of local commercial construction that includes cafes, stores, schools, office buildings, and hospitals. The owner of Meyer Building Company is Ryan Meyer. Ryan, welcome out to lunch. Thanks very much for having me, Peter. And it's not like every building in New Orleans was originally fabulous or just needs a dose of TLC to be restored. We have our share of office buildings filled with asbestos, abandoned gas stations with buried storage tanks, leaking oil into the soil, and homes that, behind the sheetrock, are petri dishes of mold. How do you deal with construction and real estate issues like this? And when you deal with them, how do you stay compliant with all health, safety, and even geological requirements mandated by the federal, state, and local regulations? Well, one way of taking care of all these issues is to turn to a local environmental consultancy company called LEAF Environmental. LEAF is spelled L-E-A-A-F, and its co-owner, chief financial officer, and chief marketing officer is Jesse Hoppus. Jesse, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, Peter. Happy to be here. Ryan, in other cities, one of the primary reasons to demolish old commercial buildings and start from scratch building is economics. It can be cheaper to start with a clean slate. You can better control the cost of construction, and the developer gets to maximize the space to the fullest extent that current zoning will allow. Here, working within the confines of old original buildings, but still having to comply with current codes and satisfy the demands of a client is not only challenging, it's expensive. And we're not a city where people or companies typically have the same kind of deep pockets you find in other places. So I'm wondering how that works for you as a commercial general contractor. Do you have to sacrifice anything financially to live and work in commercial construction in New Orleans? Or have you developed skills to make working within these confines as profitable as any other commercial construction in the U.S.? I think that um, part of the reason 
that New Orleans um, retains its old stock is because of its charm and because of the culture here. I, I believe that. I think that there are other economic forces at play there, you know, whether it's attraction to new businesses and things um, to come to town. Um, but I think that working within the confines of the old stock, besides being a, a passionate, a, a passion um, element of a project, um, can be very rewarding. So if it if it's more expensive to renovate than it is to scratch and build new. Um, I think that there are programs out there that sort of help that. There's federal tax um, abatement uh, based on historic properties. There's state tax programs uh, that help old buildings get back into commerce and things like that. So there's some incentives for keeping the old stock. But beyond that, I think as a city, um, we are interested in it. Um, and it's just evident as you drive around, right? So um, in developing further skills on renovation, it just comes with practice, I think. We get so used to this beautiful architecture, and sometimes it's when you need a visitor to come in and, sure. and comment. They're stunned. Right. That's, that's a good point. Um, and we've got lots of um, customers from out of town as a, as a local small building contractor. So that means... Uh, we end up working for interiors and, and things like that. So we have a customer uh, currently that's from San Antonio, and they have built in New Orleans four uh, locations. We're on the fifth uh, of um, interiors in old buildings, and um, they're putting their stamp and their brand inside of an old building so that um, without ever having had a conversation with that customer about why in particular each building is chosen, it's obvious that she's choosing older buildings to put in her new things. And, and that happens quite a bit. Jesse, it seems like your work is helping home buyers with a possibly unwelcome reality or helping developers, lenders, architects, and engineers comply with regulations. So I'm wondering, what kind of frame of mind a person is in when they engage LEAF Environmental? Even if your client is a pro-green person or company, they're compelled to spend money to maybe find out the property they want to buy is a bad investment or to comply with complex scientific issues or bureaucratic regulations. When a client engages you, are they typically thrilled to be working with you or somewhat less than enthusiastic? No, we usually are, um, we're usually an afterthought sometimes on it. Um, typically, let me go back a little bit. We try to stay away from the residential market and that's just not a great market for us. We usually stay in that commercial, light industrial, um, government side of the world. And, but what we're there to do is if we get up on the, uh, the upfront side of it, we can kind of help identify problems before they get involved in the construction. Like for Ryan, for instance, the last thing he wants to do is deal with an environmental problem after it's going. So we try to be upfront. We work with a lot of banks, developers, the architects on the planning side of things to try to minimize environmental risk and be able to understand, are they gonna run into an asbestos issue? Do they have underground tanks in the ground? Were they built on top of an old um, coal gasification plant or something like that? Um, was there an industrial history? So it's kind of fun. We get to do a lot of history research and things like that to identify what's going on. And then the regs require, on the commercial side, a lot more checking before you go do a big renovation or you do a demolition. We would then come in there for the asbestos regulations or 
to the point where they require it for all commercial properties. So we'd come check it to make sure that they're not exposing the workers or the, the, uh, the neighbors or anybody else like that. So that's one side of what we do that kind of probably ties in more with the construction side more than anything. One of the things I've been thinking about is everybody seems to understand that from a house inspection kind of thing, but I didn't really think of it as commercial building. No, it's, it's the same thing, and that's a good way that I usually kind of break it down to somebody. If you're gonna go buy something, people are always willing to kind of do a home inspection or an appraisal, but the unknown costs in the environmental can be pretty alarming sometimes, and they can get into the hundred thousands or the millions of dollars, depending on what it is. And what happened is um, they have some regulations back in the day where people would buy something and then the EPA or the federal agencies and state agencies would hold them responsible for the contamination. So there's a basic report that's fairly common called a phase one environmental site assessment. And what that does is uh, it follows a set of procedures. There's some ASTM standards and it goes through and you do historical reviews. So it's really fun. We get to go through a bunch of old maps and records and city directories and see what was here at the brewery a long time ago if we wanted. You're like a detective. It's really fun. That's the fun part of it. Um, so, so that's the exciting part. Now, sitting down and getting all these scientists to write like a, you know, a, a couple inch binder worth of reports, that's the part that's a little more tedious and not the joyous part of environmental consulting. The detective work is great. The key is to talk to you before you put yeah. the money down. The okay. key is that. Um, we get involved with people who come in and do it after, and that's usually where it can blow your budget and it changes the cost and everything, and no one's happy at that point. They'd much rather find out, just like at home inspection, that you have a, a leaky roof that you're going to need to spend 20000 bucks or on it. They'd much rather know that before they finish the negotiations on their property. Now, Ryan, you're a New Orleans guy, but you, you, quote, I, you got a quote that said, Everybody in their 20s should work in New York City for a while. Why? <laughs> why? And you did. Why is that? I uh, I was just lucky, and I moved to New York City after college, um, just for fun, with no with no real agenda. <clears throat> Excuse me, just kind of actually to avoid uh, construction. My dad's a contractor. <laughs> My brother-in-law's a contractor, and all that. So I just sort of wanted to get away for a minute, but I ended up in construction in New York, and I lived there for eight years or so, and um, it was just really fun and. Um, the life experience that you acquire running a business and having a family and um, being a leader um, and a citizen of New Orleans are all very important and it makes me who I am and everything like that. But I, I think about New York uh, as a totally different um, skill set um, a, a, a totally different part of my personality about operating in the world, right? So maybe living in New York is good required reading. Also, being a waiter, right, is a good <laughs> is a good thing to do for a good way to spend your youth. And, and, and I worked for contractors there, and I learned lots of things. It was interesting um, to be a young, in my 20s, um, person given some management tasks and have to convince sort of the grizzled New York construction <laughs> workers to pay attention to me or to um, spend time hearing me out and everything. And I think that helped me in my business today. And Ryan, you mentioned a certain skill set. Uh, Jesse, uh, we talked to a lot of people that either have easily found labor and others that have found it very difficult. Now, you have a specific kind of background you need from these people, right? Right. It's 
there's not a lot of people that do what we do. If you look at, like, we have about six or seven professional geologists who are licensed, kind of similar to engineers in the state of Louisiana. And um, there's not a lot of them. So it's like you look up, there's not a ton, and then you got to narrow it down for industry, there's even less. So it's like it's difficult to find the right person, but I think as a company we really try hard to continually go to continuing education classes, to network, and to be involved with people, and to be a place where people want to be. And so we've done pretty well with kind of being able to recruit when we need to, but it's, um, it is a difficult niche and it's kind of it takes a while to kind of train somebody it's not something you can kind of bring them in it's going to take multiple years for them to get good at what they're doing so it's different kind of geologists right i mean there's probably a lot of petroleum geologists mm -hmm. around but that's not what you really yeah need. i think the environmental timed out right with the oil crash so you have a lot of geologists in it so in the 80s is when the environmental regulations started getting serious so they ended up having a ton of geologists in within it. and i'm a geologist myself but it's uh they end up having to drill and test the soil and the water. So you end up putting a lot of water wells in the ground to kind of be able to test whether the water is contaminated So and the test the soil as well. So that's kind of where you have a fair amount of geologists in the industry. You have a fair amount of engineers help design and stamp plans for like spill protection plans or things like that as well. And Jesse, you mentioned being a detective. How far back, let's say you buy a, you buy a building and the soil around it is contaminated, do you? Who is responsible for that? Do you, can you claw back three or four owners? Sometimes it goes. It goes back to who the responsible party was. And if you follow the regulations, you do your due diligence, then that's letting you off the hook. But you have to follow the process on the phase one to kind of be let off the hook of being the responsible party. You may still buy something and find contamination later, but you could, you may have a dirty property, but you may not be, you're not likely going to be responsible. But yes, if they go back through time, it's the people before them can be held. Typically, the state kind of goes after the people that actually did do the polluting, but the people who own the land and leased it to somebody can be held responsible. So it, it goes back through time in a chain. One of the things I've thought about is both of you have to worry about being sued, right? Sure. There's a, sure. there's a, for the record, you both smiled when I said that. Yeah, so. that's right. Right. What, what do you, what do you do about it? We are proactive with our safety. Certainly, it's um, just uh, like Jesse's work. I'm sure there's there's plenty of interest in safety. We spend time thinking about safety when we're active on the job site. As for um, uh, contract uh, obligations and things like that, we. We just try to keep it very simple. Um, we try to have everything down in writing and, and, and share what we have in the most transparent and fair way we can. Um, and we shift some and share some liability that way. And for um, Detective Jesse, if you, if you miss something. Yeah, I think the, the reason I laughed is it's just, it gets funny sometimes in the way lawsuits work. Um, one time we were sued for work. We, been a contractor at the airport historically. We got sued for somebody being exposed to asbestos back in like 2000 or 99 or somewhere around there. And in reality, we didn't even start as a business until 2005. So the guy didn't even work there. So that's, that's why I laughed is like we get dragged into things every so often where you have to kind of defend yourself as a business, even though you weren't involved in that portion of the project. So that's, that's the part where it gets kind of funny or odd. 
You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Jesse Hoppes from the environmental consultancy company Leaf Environmental and Ryan Meyer from commercial construction company Meyer Building Company. We'll continue our conversation when we come right back from this short break. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Adata Corporate Staffing, Basics Swim and Gym, and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Jesse Hoppus from the environmental consultancy company Leaf Environmental and Ryan Meyer from the commercial construction company Meyer Building Company. Ryan, changes in interest rates, um, you know, can affect uh, whether a business goes goes forward with a project and all. Do you think at times um, there's a lot of pent up demand that projects that uh, were going to be done? aren't going to be done under certain rates, but their way, the projects didn't go away. I do think that. And I think that uh, because of the recent uh, evidence of, of uh, post-COVID, um, I think you can look at just, just 18 months ago or 25 months ago, whatever kind of the reawakening of, of uh, uh, post-COVID America was, that we certainly ramped right up. And I, I hope that uh, we experience that again. Um, and I think there's precedent for it. And I think that people are certainly biding some time uh, for more favorable conditions. Now, Jesse, it seems like public interest is moving in your direction. People uh, care much, a lot more about environmental issues than they did 20 years ago. Uh, did you see this coming? No, I mean, I kind of, you always take a, I always thought it'd be fun to have a, write a book about just how people got in their jobs and positions. And you, I'm sure you do a lot of that thinking yourself, but... No, I just got grabbed a job out of the industry, out of college, and was looking for a job and kind of ended up in it. Didn't really think about it and forecast on the future or anything. Um, so, no, I didn't really think about it in that way. I was just kind of looking for a job that applied to my geology experience, and the environmental world has a fair amount of positions. So that's kind of the way it started. It wasn't anything for me as a long projection and thinking about things. I just was one of those kids who got out of school and didn't know what to do. So I, I have just a thought like on you. that. Right. Just like that's right. <laughs> I have a thought on that, and I think it goes on with Jesse's things. And I, I feel like um, in my world, on the small projects at least, again, not the big institutional spenders, but on the smaller things, the pizza restaurants and things like that that we build, the clientele is, it, it is different than it was even 10 years ago in placemaking. Uh, I think there's a better sense of uh, placemaking and experience um, when you... Are, when you walk into a car dealership or a, any other small business, I think in the build, there's, there's just so much more attention paid to what the feel of the space is and um, the concern of how it was built as part of it. I think that environmental issues um, may not be welcomed by a customer, but knowing that we contract with Lee for you know, a competitor or so on to get the place scrubbed and clean and, and in, in within the regulations, I think that matters to folks nowadays. And it, it maybe didn't as much before. I think that a chef needed to open a restaurant and put some tables out and sell. And I think that that is not the only agenda anymore. Right. Yeah, there's definitely been a movement towards that and there's more funding towards that programs and things like, um, that deal with environmental issues and concerns. Like we do a lot of brownfields program, basically, 
there's a lot of federal stimulus right now going towards those programs. They've kind of doubled or tripled in the size of them, so there's a lot more impact on all these underdeveloped properties that no one wants to touch because economically it may not be feasible to kind of go after it. Um, if you have an old gas station, it's the most common one, but if you have an old gas station, I mean, you're already going to be looking at spending a fair amount of money before you get started to that clean slate. So therefore, they have a lot of federal stimulus on that, and I think the society has built around that and pushed on it in that way. But as far as me forecasting, I didn't do a great job of that. I just kind of got involved and got excited, and had, I've been really enjoying it since. And I'm, I can now predict more in the future on where things are going, but at the time, no. <laughs> now, both of you guys have been very successful. Do you feel like there's a push for you to grow at this point, and do you want to do it? Are you, are you happy the, where you are? What do you think, Brian? Yep, growth is always um, a goal for us, for me. Um, and uh, besides uh, running uh, what is, I hope, continues to be a profitable company and stuff, I, I feel there's a mandate for me to, in a way, look after the employees. Um, and I like to think about our projects as small packets of economic outgrowth. And what I mean by that is just simply, you know, when you build a house or you renovate a home and you finish and the customer's satisfied, you hand them the keys and they move in a couch and a television. When you build a clinic or a restaurant and you hand them the keys, they don't move in a couch. They hire employees and buy local art and um, hire a cleaning service and uh, anyway uh, they put people to work and I, I think that's a big part of it for me so when I think about growth certainly I'm anxious for growth for myself but I also like to think that the impact that we have on just the New Orleans economy is important too and that's a good motivator to keep growing. And Jesse what is your footprint and if you do grow would it be contiguously? Um, so we we're based out of Gretna. We have remote employees in Lafayette, three in Baton Rouge, three in the North Shore, one in Ohio, one in Florida. So we're, we're about 29 people now. Um, we serve a fair amount of contracts that cover the whole state of Louisiana. We have clients that take us to New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas for an EPA region. So we do a bit of work out there. But I would say our, our core service area where we can offer the majority of our services expands pretty much from like Lafayette through Baton Rouge down to the Gulf Coast and Mississippi. We've been spending a lot of time trying to grow that way. Um, I envision us, my partner and I are ready to kind of put an office probably somewhere in Baton Rouge soon and then probably something on the Mississippi coast soon after that. So like that's in our growth plans. We, we plan on continuing to expand in that way. Ryan, I'm, I'm licensed in Mississippi too. Oh no, <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> This is all I do the show for, yeah. so people can have the... <laughs> Ryan, there's certain pieces of real estate, and I guess this would be too, for Jesse, too, that we don't know, things have changed, and we don't know what to do with them, like some big box stores. Uh, everybody I know is asking, um, uh, what are we going to do with all these malls? Mm -hmm. Do you uh, have any idea where all that's going? I mean, uh, you yeah. always see those for sale signs, you know, <laughs> with the New York numbers in front. What, what's going to happen? I have no idea. I, I, uh, I always wondered if they, if, I don't know, maybe when the city wrote the permit in the 1980s to build a CVS on the corner of Vets or whatever, like, should they maybe have required the big box retailer to take it down too? I, I know that's looking in the past, um, but I wonder if that's a part of the future. 
but I don't know. I mean, you see sort of in rural places them being converted to churches, but I, but wow. I, I, don't, I don't think you'd see that in New Orleans. My last question for Jesse, though, is because uh, we used a term a few minutes ago that really is kind of esoteric to mo- most people, and that was um, brownfields. You hear it. What is it? So it's a property that has a real or perceived impact of environmental contamination. So um, it's a building that's probably being underutilized in your, your community. And that's the basic definition, based on perceived environmental concern or real environmental concern. So that's what it means. And when you qualify for that, then you can open yourself up for funding. If your state agency or your local planning commissions, they all have pots of money that they can help do a lot of the work we do for free. So therefore, they can kind of, the idea is to be able to understand, just like in, you know, you're back to your roof analogy of being able to say like, hey, we're going to do a building inspection. It's to be able to bring those costs knowing what it's going to be to get started on environmental. So it's like, we can come in and we can do an asbestos survey. We can come in and do a phase one and do that history report and be able to tell you, yes, you had contamination potentially here or there. And then the Brownfields money on the assessment side also sometimes has money to go actually physically test and drill. So therefore, if you're an investor that wants to come put a great development that Ryan's gonna build for you over on this property, you now know roughly what your problem is and what your costs are gonna be, as opposed to like having to spend 10, 20, $30,000 to kind of even uncover that. So it's, it's people are kind of scared of spending that money to then realize, oh, this is gonna cost me a million dollars, I'm out. And then, you know, it kind of allows the state and the feds have kind of come up with that program a little bit better to help alleviate some of the unknowns. And when you have property that is higher valued, people will kind of take the chance on the investment anyway, and they'll go do all their due diligence and they'll pay for that because the property may be worth it. But especially if you get into more rural communities or like less valued properties, sometimes the cost of the contamination can be more than the property's worth. So they're trying to incentivize and figure out ways to do it. And a lot of times it... They tie it into certain areas of town where they can stimulate, like you can see the Falstaff building got some brownfield money, the American Can Company got brownfield money. There's a bunch of properties throughout the city. And then a lot of little property transactions can help get it too. We hear a lot these days about silos, how we're living in our own self-selected bubbles and getting our news and information from sources that just reinforce what we already believe. Now, for a lot of us, that's true. But the one thing you can't silo is the actual real physical world we live in. Here in New Orleans, although we have our political differences about how to achieve it, we tend to agree on what the city should look like. And we also agree that the mostly unseen environment beneath the buildings we're working to preserve should be maintained in a way that promotes the health and longevity of both the city and its citizens. Ryan and Jesse, your professional lives are dedicated to each of these respective goals. Thank you for everything you're doing for the city of New Orleans, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. It's great. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Ryan Meyer, owner of Meyer Building Company, and Jesse Hoppes, co-owner, CFO, and CMO of Leaf Environmental. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Ryan's adventures in commercial construction and Jesse's environmental exploits by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, 
itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from the show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.